0: Crypto Podcast, Episode 2, What is Bitcoin and Cryptocurrency? In the previous episode, I talked about the general characteristics of a blockchain, how it works, why it's important, and how it's going to change everything. Today, we're going to talk about the original blockchain, Bitcoin, and what cryptocurrency has to offer to the world. But before we begin that, we should clear up a misnomer about this industry and this space in general, and that being the word Cryptocurrency. Crypto means cryptographic and currency means a medium of exchange, which infers that every coin and token in this space is attempting to be a payment system, which is far, far from the truth. Now, they all hold, or most, hold value of some sort. And these coins can be traded for goods or services or even for U.S. dollars on certain exchanges. But you can do a lot of that with a pair of tires. But that does not mean that tires are trying to replace the dollar. The vast majority of coins and tokens out there are more akin to tech startups that are aiming to provide a service to the space or to the world in general. Some are seeking to make a computer like an Airbnb so you can rent out unused storage space, while others are trying to create a decentralized Uber, one that can't be kicked out of a city because there is no company. What we're going to be talking about today is Bitcoin and all the other cryptos that are aiming to be a digital currency. I will be using the word Bitcoin, and sometimes crypto, but as a general term to describe all of them for simplicity's sake. Bitcoin was first conceived in a white paper in 2008 called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, and written by Satoshi Nakamoto. I will have a link to this white paper in the show notes. No one knows who this is, whether it's a woman or a man or a group of people. Whoever it was is to be commended. While not only creating a revolutionary technology by shunning the spotlight, they didn't saddle this revolution with their own personal failings and opinions. So, what makes Bitcoin different than a dollar or a debit card? Why is it badder? Well, first, we need to define some terms before we move forward. That being money and currency. Currencies have a few defining characteristics. One, a currency needs to be durable. It can't be something like a cookie. It would fall apart and destroy the value that it held if you tried to carry it around. A currency needs to be portable. It's not very useful if you can't take it with you. It also needs to be fungible, which basically means that each unit of currency is equal to every other unit. And by that I mean is, for example, if you're using gold coins, you would want your coin to be the same weight and content as the next coin. So that you can be assured that you didn't spend a 1.4 ounce gold coin to buy a cow and now sold it for a 0.9 ounce gold coin while it was the same unit the value was intrinsically less you also want to make sure that your currency is divisible so you can have precise pricing you don't want to have just one gold coin since this wouldn't allow for something like a meal to be purchased only larger expensive items That is why there's usually a multitude of coins and bills ranging in size and consistency, some worth more and some worth less. Money is very similar to currency, but it also has to have these other following characteristics. It has to be a stable store of value over time and a unit of account. To be considered a unit of account, it must be used as a measurement of the cost of an item, i.e., if you ask someone how much a soda costs they would say it costs a dollar and 25 cents that is using dollars as a unit of account if you went to europe they'd be saying it costs one euro the euro would be a unit of account to be considered a stable form of value over time this means that the money must be able to be saved and maintain purchasing power when you retrieve it later so let's just say you buy property you can be reasonably assured that in one or five or ten years, you will be able to sell that property and get value in return. It may be more, maybe a little less, it all depends, but you will get value in return. This is why gold and silver have historically been considered to be the best form of money because they hold their value very well over long periods of time. For example, if you took a 1955 US quarter, which at the time was the average cost of a gallon of gas, 25 cents. And if you took the silver value, because it was comprised of 90% silver, and you take that silver value today and you melt it down and you sell that silver, it's about the same as a gallon of gas today, actually a little bit more. The dollar, on the other hand, as a unit of payment, it has not been a very good store of value over time and it has lost about 98% of its purchasing power over the last 100 years. Now, I'm not going to turn this episode into a deep dive on monetary policy, central banking, and inflation. However, we do need to touch a little bit on these subjects to better understand why Bitcoin is so important and the best form of money to date. So, for most of our history as a country, we've had a back currency. What that was is, while we did use paper notes quite often, these notes were supposedly backed by the actual gold or silver that the paper said it was worth. You could take a $20 gold note, and receive a $20 gold coin upon demand. Think of a back currency kind of like a valet ticket. When you check a car at the valet, they give you a ticket. That ticket's kind of technically worth $15, $20, or $50,000, whatever your car's worth, and acts similar to a back currency. Upon demand, you can give them your paper and you will receive that whatever's backing it for a valet, a car, for a back currency, gold or silver. In the 70s, we moved to what is called a fiat currency, and that basically means that there's no intrinsic value other than the legal backing of that note. There's no gold, there's no land or oil, only the promise from the government that they recognize it as legal tender and has to be accepted as such. The value of the money is mostly derived from supply and demand, which is why the dollar loses value as the central bank in the United States called the Federal Reserve creates more and would nominally gain in value if they destroyed existing dollars in the market. The reason we went to fiat are long, and I won't belabor you with them. Suffice to say, they were not because it was in the best interest of the average Joe. The reason that back currencies are superior is because they provide a natural check to stop the government or central banks from just printing currency to pay for things they can't afford. If you have to back every dollar, you can only print as much as you can get gold. Without that natural stopgap, you are at the mercy of the central bank. Now, what is Bitcoin? Is it a currency or is it a money? Let's go down that list of characteristics. Portability. Bitcoin is extremely portable. Through a myriad of wallets available on your computer or phone, you could transact anywhere in the world you have an internet connection. And in fact, there's a service for Bitcoin Cash, which is an offshoot of Bitcoin, and we'll go over that in a future episode. That gives you the ability to send and receive with only a cell tower via text messaging. No internet. Durability. This is quite a different question when we talk about physical currencies, which is basically what this question has been referring to up until now. And since you can't really touch a Bitcoin, it's, it's kind of a, a much different question than, say, gold or paper. Its durability is, in fact, found that the ledger that it's held on can't be deleted or hacked as long as you maintain control of your accounts you will always have access to your bitcoin It is extremely durable cannot be destroyed ever divisibility bitcoin can be divided down to the eighth decimal place so that's point zero 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 one, which means that even if one bitcoin or i should say when equals a million dollars, you'll still be able to transact with pennies of value. Fungibility. Remember that this means that each unit of the currency is the same value as an equivalent unit of the currency. For example, if I have one dollar and you have one dollar, they both have the same purchasing power. My dollar will buy the same amount as your dollar will. Bitcoin is the same. It may go up or down in value in relation to a dollar or a pound or gold, But every Bitcoin is equal to another. We have now determined that Bitcoin does meet the technical criteria of a currency. It is admitted, though, that the true adoption of cryptocurrency for small and large transactions is quite small. There are a growing amount of independent businesses that take various cryptocurrencies for purchases. Uh, There are some high end properties and cars, such as Lamborghinis, that can be found to accept cryptocurrency. And even large companies like Overstock.com and Microsoft will also accept them. This doesn't mean that what we call mass adoption, i.e. major public use, is just around the corner. But it does mean that in a few short years, we have gone from being basically internet nerd money to being accepted by Fortune 500 companies as payments. And that's a huge step. Now, does it meet the criteria for money? Remember, to be money... It must be both a stable store of value over time and a unit of measurement. Bitcoin, to me, has not yet hit the technical criteria to be considered money. It is not a unit of measurement in any broad sense of the word. You can find stores, like I just mentioned, that accept crypto and even items priced online in Bitcoin. But those are few and far between. Bitcoin is also not yet what I would call a stable store of value over time. It doesn't meet that criteria per se. It's only been around for historically a very short period, about eight years, and even less than that actually functioning and kind of more in the public. This is more of a gray area as I can find validity and arguments for both that it is and isn't a store of value over time. I think about 15, 20 years total time that cryptocurrency has been around, that will be the true test of it. And I am 99.9% confident that uh, absent any government actions, this will prove to be true. That all being said, I do consider Bitcoin personally to be money, albeit in its infancy. It has proven itself over these eight years as being a store of value. And even with this large rise and fall, historically, unless you started to store that value after roughly August, September of last year, it has been a good store of value and that has gone up. With the rise of globalism and international, especially online commerce, I find choices of units of account to be almost unnecessary. And this is due to the interoperability of platforms between various currencies. I can sell something on eBay for 50 bucks and someone from Great Britain will be browsing and see it listed for 35 pounds. Both of us are right and both of us are in real time viewing the price of the unit. But it's priced in the unit that we want to see it purchased in. If I was selling the same item for 0.005 Bitcoin, would it matter that they saw it in dollars or pounds or vice versa? Unit of account is less important to me than volume used for real world purchases and transfers. So we've established that Bitcoin is a currency and money, albeit in a very early stage. So great. We already have dollars. We already have pounds. We already have gold, whatever. Why do we need another thing to send value with or buy a coffee or a car or a home with? Cryptocurrencies, in general, are a superior form of currency and money to all current forms we have now, in every way except one, which I will cover last. First is transaction speed. Now, this varies with each cryptocurrency, but even the slowest Bitcoin transactions around 30 minutes, while Dash and others can be received uh, nearly instantaneously. Most credit and debit transactions take over two to three days to clear out of your accounts. There are no overdraft issues with Bitcoin. You either have the funds or you don't. Now, it is true that credit and debit can actually be approved at the point of sale, which is, that's why you're not waiting two to three days to buy your groceries. It's true that credit and debits can actually be approved at the point of sale. That's why you're not waiting two to three days at the register. It can be done very quickly. However, I already mentioned Dash as an example. I can hit send on that transaction and it will reflect in your account faster than I could say the sentence. Paying for things at stores is something that is first in mind for many of us in the Western kind of industrialized world when we talk about transaction speeds. But we also tend to forget the other people that live in this world. There are quite a few people who work abroad and away from home, you know, migratory workers, seasonal displaced workers, and Bitcoin and crypto have an immense amount of value to offer them. Most of them send large amounts of their paychecks home. However, a lot of this is eaten up in currency conversion fees and transactions and other fees charged by the likes of MoneyGram and Western Union. With crypto, they can nearly instantaneously send currency to their family at a thousandth of the cost, if at any cost at all. Security. Now, crypto is as safe as you want it to be. The only way that people can claim that there is any more safety in a bank or credit card is either by laws that only cover deposits and corporate policies that can be revoked at any time in regards to, say, credit cards or debits. These are all safeguards that are external to the actual currency. They're not innately part of it. There's nothing secure inherently about a Visa card or a US dollar, but there is inherent security in cryptocurrency. Now, it's true, cryptocurrency holders have had funds stolen, but every time that has been due to someone downloading a virus, not running basic antivirus programs, giving away their passwords, or something similar. It's always been human error. It's never been the error of the system in itself. And you cannot say that for credit cards or for banks. If you take five minutes to secure your private keys, which is your password, and we will go over that in the wallets episode, and set up a basic antivirus program, you really have little chance of ever having an issue with cryptocurrencies. Innovation in the future is going to lead to probably similar security support structures that are currently offered for credit card providers and banks in the crypto space as well. We're just still very early in this. Now, another aspect of security is value security. And this is one that only crypto offers and not national currencies. That being, there is no central authority that can rob them of their savings value, the value of what you have put away. And hold and have not spent. The Federal Reserve, which is our central bank, currently roughly shoots for about 2% inflation a year. That means if you hold cash in a savings account, they are purposely trying to devalue it by 2% a year. Now, there are reasons that they give for the devaluation of the dollar, and some have some minor forms of validity in terms of trading power with other nations. However, they are choosing to punish people who save, as well as those who are on fixed incomes. If you're on a fixed income, that means that you are often not rising with inflation or not even close to keeping pace with it, if you ask anybody on a fixed, fixed income. Bitcoin, on the other hand, cannot be inflated. There cannot be any new Bitcoins created to fund a program or bail out a Bitcoin bank. Never. Portability is something that we already covered under the portion on currency characteristics. However, I want to reiterate it because it's really cool and really groundbreaking if you think about it. If you had all your money in, say, gold or diamonds, if you need to go from one place to another, you will have to securely carry those one, 25, or 1,000 coins or diamonds personally on you or ship them securely, hoping no one robs you or intercepts the shipment. If you have cash, the same problem applies. And if it's in a bank and you're trying to leave a country, say, like Venezuela, They could put a hold on all your funds, rendering you helpless. Cryptocurrency allows you to carry your wealth, all of it, on you at all times, without you having to worry about being a victim of theft. You see, I can carry all of my Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies on my Ledger Nano S hardware wallet, which you can find via a link at the bottom of the episode page at diginocrypto.com. If you're going to buy that one, I would appreciate you using that link to help out the show. I get a little kickback from Amazon, and we're going to go over wallets and the different kinds and all the characteristics of these different wallets and what's better and the pros and cons in episode 6. So don't worry if you're kind of a little bit confused on what is this ledger thing. We'll go over that in episode 6. Just consider it basically a thumb drive that securely stores your cryptocurrencies. You may be saying, "Yeah, but couldn't someone just steal it or make them give you your pin?" Sure. But you know what? You can also carry your entire net worth in 24 words. How Let me tell you, to be able to access your funds, if you ever do lose your Ledger Nano wallet, when you're setting it up, you create what they call a mnemonic device, which is basically just a list of 24 random words. Well, not quite random, but we'll go over that as well in the wallet episode. So from one to 24, the list may be fish, jump, fence, spring, chair, car, grass, house, et cetera, et cetera. If I memorize that, I can travel from, say, the USA to Morocco, get another ledger, and put those 24 words, and all of my funds are available right away. And there's other ways without getting a ledger as well to access certain portions of your cryptocurrency portfolio as well. That's pretty cool. You don't have to have anything on you. All you have to do is remember 24 words or have some other way of getting access to those 24 words whenever you reach wherever you are going. Now, next is another security feature, and that's algorithmic security. Now, this covers some of the strengths I've already mentioned, but you need to understand that this differs from, say, a law or a regulation. A law is passed, then enforceable. A law can then become repealed and no longer enforceable, or can, as often happens, the law is passed, but it's not actually enforced. This is because laws are based on humans. Humans have to continue to enforce said laws, and they have the choice not to. With algorithmic certainties built into Bitcoin and crypto, there's not a question of whether the law will be enforced. It will be. There's no choice. There's no choice that Bitcoin will only have 21 million Bitcoin ever. There's no choice that you can create a fake transaction or counterfeit a Bitcoin. It's impossible. There's no other currency that can claim this. So what is the one thing though that I mentioned before we went over this whole list of really cool stuff about Bitcoin? What is that one thing that makes Bitcoin not better than current forms of payment? Well, basically, it's just acceptability, what we in this space call mass adoption. Not a lot of people can use it for actual transactions. I mean, I have, but I don't actually a lot. I have sold and bought things with various cryptocurrencies. I've tipped some service workers and made gifts of crypto, but I don't pay my mortgage, gas, or food with it. Well, not yet, but this is not something that any money or currency hasn't faced. There was at some point, someone was trying to convince another person that this shiny metal he found on the ground was worth half a deer, but then he didn't eat. Then one day he did, and then eventually became a backbone of money for millennia. A cryptocurrency will eventually win. Kids growing up now will at some point in their life, Pay for things with a blockchain-based currency, and for them, it'll be as normal as a cell phone. It will seem antiquated to not have been doing this all along. I do recognize that there's a double-edged sword here in terms of privacy and power concerns that can arise from a blockchain-based cryptocurrency if it is used in the wrong hands. This is with any technology, and we will cover this topic in a future episode as well. In my opinion, blockchain is the biggest revolution in technology, since the internet and may very well end up being bigger than that. It's going to become the way we vote, communicate, buy food, ship goods, get paid, own homes and property, lease cars and pay bills. As I said in the first episode, you won't even know blockchain is behind most of this. And whether or not that Bitcoin, as a coin, becomes the way we make payments in the coming future, or another coin, remains to be seen. It will be a cryptocurrency that does. That much I do know. Now, I'd like to thank you for your time. I know it's valuable and I appreciate you spending it on me. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You'll find all of my podcast articles and social media links on didyouknowcrypto.com. That's didyouknowcrypto.com. And if you want to support us, visit didyouknowcrypto.com slash support.